Welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 235th episode, our guest is Noam Barden. Noam Barden is founder of Post, a platform built for real people, real news, and civil conversations. Prior to launching Post in 2022, Noam founded and served as CEO of Waze, one of the world's most talked about startups, through its acquisition by Google in June 2013. Featured as one of Business Insider's 100 Stars of Silicon Valley, Noam holds a BA in Economics from the Hebrew University and a Master's of Public Administration from Harvard University's John F. Kennedy School of Government, where he started planning on how to save the world. He's now decided it will be one post at a time and looks forward to everyone joining him in conversation at post.news forward slash the at sign forward slash gnome, N-O-A-M. And you can follow me on post at post.news forward slash the at sign forward slash R-O-B-A-B-U-R-G. And now on to the show. My name is Noam Bardeen, and I'm sort of known for my previous company, which was Waze, the traffic and navigation app, which we um, sold to Google in 2013. I stayed there for about seven years as a VP. I left about three years ago and have started a new project called Post.News. Yes, and thank you so much for creating that project. Um, you know, I was a Twitter user for 14 years before Elon bought it, and I was very sad to move away initially. It has been a great place to land, and I, I've kind of redirected my, you know, professional social media presence on Twitter to post. Uh, so it's it's really been a lot of fun, and uh, I've actually got more followers on post now in less than a year than I had ever on Twitter. So it's 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 I haven't lost my audience <laughs> at all. So it's been great. Um, no, that that's great. And by the way, that that's a lot of what drove me as well to to found Post. Is I was a, a heavy Twitter user, and by the core use case that I had for Twitter was basically to aggregate news for. Right, I'd follow all kinds of interesting people. They would share content, and I would get receive that content. And what would frustrate me is the experience itself about news and social. How broken all of that was, and and to me, that's one of the sad things about kind of where Twitter is today. Twitter was this kind of unique, magical creature. And today it's just like anything else. Exactly. Yeah, all the things that used to be special about it have kind of been drained away. Um, But uh, Post's design is very clean. It's nice to look at. Um, It's definitely more civil than Twitter. And I don't find there's as much trolling. I've maybe had to block or mute just a handful of people, uh, whereas Twitter, it's just endless. So it's <laughs> you, you, my block list is, is lengthy, I'm sure, if I looked at it. But um, <laughs> but yeah, you can you can edit posts on on posts. That's something I was asking for Twitter for years. I don't know why they couldn't get that together, but that's been great. Um, so yeah, those those are all great design points. So yeah, so, so basically, our our thesis behind the post is that. You know, you look at, at, at news in general, news has not changed in the last 50 years. Yeah, it's gone from a piece of paper to an HTML page to an app. But it's the same entities, same business models, same user experience. You go somewhere, some editor tells you what to read. And there's been a fundamental shift in consumer behavior where today, obviously, the younger you are, the more extreme it is. You know, we like to get our news off social feeds. Like that's been the primary driver of traffic to many, many news sites. Because we like to share and to like and to comment and get different opinions, and we like everything that's around the feed. So 
I do believe that social is the future of news. But at the same time, the current social media platforms were not built for news. And, and you know, even to more extreme, in Canada today, Meta, which is Facebook and Instagram and threads, they'll block any time you try to post a news article or, or, or a link to a news article. They'll block it completely, right? They're moving away from news and trying to block it out. And to me, this is really what uh, at Post we're trying to solve. We want to give you a great social experience that you like, you can connect with people, you can follow people, you can like, you can create, you can share. But also the news is built into the platform. So if you want to read something, you click on it, it opens up right there. There's a monetization model. All these things that are built in to try to make it a more seamless experience. Yeah. And as somebody that's, you know, been involved in journalism, I'm the fourth generation in my family to be a journalist. And I've just seen the decimating the news business with uh, the, you know, print advertising and and classifieds and and everything else that's been assaulting it. So I think this micropayments model is so far overdue. And I'm just really glad to see a site trying it in earnest. How is it going from your perspective, are publishers responding, are readers responding? How, how have you seen it received? So, so let, let me give a bit, a bit of an explanation for your listeners who, who may not be familiar with it. I didn't really Today explain this very well, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Today, when you're on Post, when you open an account on Post, every user gets this digital wallet, and we give you 50 points initially. Points are basically one point is equal one cent, so it's a model built very similar to Twitch or the gaming networks. So everyone has this wallet and they can use that wallet to either purchase things or to tip people or tip different accounts. And the, the goal here is that, you know, if we offered you to read an article for two cents, you know, who thinks about two cents? Like, what is two cents? There's nothing in the world that I can do with two cents. But in the advertising world, two cents is a $20 CPM. That's a tremendous amount of money. And so there's, a, a, there's this gap here between access to stuff. You know, today you want to read an article, you hit a paywall, they ask you to subscribe. Okay, I'm not going to subscribe to 30 different publications, right? It's just not going to happen. But at the same time, each publication thinks you're going to subscribe to them. And that's obviously a, fa- a, a market failure here. So in our view, you as the, as the reader should be in control of what you're spending money on. You don't need to subscribe to one publication that will forever hit your credit card every month, whether or not you read the content, whether or not the content's any good, right? And blocking you from reading any other content because it's paywall. But rather, you should be able to choose articles that you want to read. The creator can set a price for them, but as long as you keep it at several cents, you keep it as something that's really kind of almost free in the concept of, of a consumer, you know, when you aggregate that for a publisher, that can be a, a, a lot of money, and that can also change that basic model. Because when you think about the news world today, you've got advertising, and that basically drove you know, the listicles, the, the, the clickbait, the lowest common denominator, attention-grabbing content. And then you've got subscription, which is great, but only 20% of Americans subscribe to anything, and 10% subscribe to more than one publication. So most people are not subscribed, and if you are subscribed, you only get one view of the world. We want you to get access to everything, not necessarily for free, right? Because we do have to compensate news players, news providers, but that doesn't mean that the only option is to subscribe for $10 a month. Well, that's a great point too, because there's so many like, you know, small local publications that they're the first ones to break a story. And I want to give them, you know, uh, whatever, you know, money from me reading it that I could, but I'm not necessarily going to want to read, you know, subscribe for like an entire month. 
Um, you know, so it's it's like I want to I want to support you, but I don't know if I'm committed that much. But it but this micropayments, this uh, you know point system that you have set up is is great for that because it's like I can throw them a few points and then they can you know monetize that. But it's not like I'm making a commitment to you know their publication for you know a long period. So. You know, a great example of exactly what you're saying is when, when Nancy Pelosi's husband was attacked in San Francisco, the local San Francisco press had the best coverage. Mm-hmm. There are people on the ground. They know the local police. You know, they got, had the coverage. So suddenly there was a, a huge influx of attention to the San Francisco Chronicle, you know, all kinds of local uh, San Francisco papers. But the response is they put up a paywall asking you to subscribe. I don't live in San Francisco. I'm never going to subscribe to a local San Francisco paper. So all that meant is I didn't read the article and they didn't get whatever money I was willing to pay. And instead, you know, not, no one gained from that. I didn't get access to the content. They didn't make, get the revenue. But if it was 10 cents to read the article, I wouldn't even have thought about it. I would have read multiple articles. Maybe I would have gotten so excited that I would have subscribed because I suddenly fall in love with San Francisco. You know, could happen. But in general, that idea of black and white, there's either a subscription or nothing I think is really detrimental, both to society, but also to the individual consumer. Yeah. Um, and it seems like, uh, you know, with this new t- uh, Twitter blue or sorry, excuse me, X, I keep saying Twitter. I got to start turning <laughs> into it by its uh, men's deodorant name or whatever it is now. Um, you know, the uh, sorry, I mean, it's just that, that joke. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's you're like, it's, did I say that out loud? Or yeah, right. Sorry. That? I may have been thinking that in my head. Oh, wait, I wasn't. So, so, um, uh, but anyway, no, I, I think with this whole like uh, incentive program they have for, for it, uh, it's, it's totally the wrong incentives because all the worst people are taking advantage of it and they're just posting to get the engagement. It's not the value of what they're saying. And it's not like, Oh, this, this person wrote an interesting article. I should give them some, some play. It's like so somebody put up some intentionally provocative thing just to get the engagement so they can get the payout from Twitter. And it's like, it's, it's this is totally the wrong incentive that we should be creating. I feel like. So. And, and you're right. And, you know, there's several levels. So when we got started for a long time, we tried to convince publishers to, to at least experiment with micropayments. And they were against it for their fear of cannibalizing their subscription business. And one thing that they all said is they have a, a large cohort of users who subscribe but never read any of the content. You know, people forgot their credit card there and it's kind of running in the background. And they're afraid to lose that cohort if suddenly people can purchase an individual article. And that's not a way to run your business, right? Basically selling people something they don't want, <laughs> or they don't use and hoping they don't notice, right? That, that's not a healthy business. But so it was a very hard to convince them. Once the, the USA Today and Gannett came across, came over, they were the first major brand, kind of the door opened up. So today we've got about 40 publishers who are ingesting content directly into the platform. And that's the USA Today and Vanity Fair and the New Yorker and Fortune and the Independent and, and a very CNN, you know, a very large variety of, of publications. And what they're seeing, the average CPM equivalent, so we convert our micropayments to CPMs, just so CPMs are a thousand impressions. That's the unit of measurement in the advertising world. So we, um, we converted CPMs for comparison. And so they're making between an average of $25 CPMs, which is extremely high. They usually in the industry, it's a one to two, three dollars. The high end make about $300 CPM. But the most interesting thing is when they publish free content, they can reach a $1.3 CPM just off tips. And this is the thing that blew me away. I never expected they liked this sense. 
wide in terms of topics and deep in terms of who's writing it. You know, it used to be that news was written by journalists with editors. And that's a very important part of news. But there's also newsletter writers and experts and, and creators and all different types of other people it, who have something to say. And so today you can ingest your newsletter directly to post and it'll show up as a post within, within a, 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 our network to anyone following you. And that opens up new monetization options for Substack and, and newsletter writers because yes, they've got their premium users and that's a very important part of their business. But the vast majority of the users who read their free content don't actually pay in any way. And this is a way for people to appreciate, and especially if it's a creator as an individual person who wrote something that you really appreciate, people will go out of their way to support that person. You know, we've, I guess, Twitter and social media have kind of given us the cynical view of the world that everyone's evil, especially people that don't agree with me, right? Anyone who doesn't agree with me is terrible. But the reality is most people are decent. And if you give them the chance, they'll do the right thing. They'll do, they, they will be positive and optimistic. It's just that the systems don't allow you to express that in the current social media world. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. And um, you know, speaking of Twitter Blue, um, it, it this verification process. Post is the first social media platform I've ever been verified on, and it's just the way that it always should have been. The process. I just proved who I was, and then I was verified. That was all it took. I didn't. Sorry, I didn't pay you eight dollars uh, for that. Mm -hmm. and I you know I, I didn't uh, you know do anything other than just show that I was who I said I was, and there it is. And uh, that's that's so novel, but it it shouldn't be. You know what I mean? That should be the most logical way. That because verified means you are who you say you are to me when I when I think of that. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. So I, I got verified on Twitter uh, maybe five six years ago, and it was a very difficult process, to, yeah. et cetera. But the goal of verification for Twitter and for Facebook, et cetera, was to signal that you're a cool person. Sure. Right? That's basically what it was. Yeah, I, I wanted to sit at the cool right? kids table. It looks so fun. <laughs> exactly. So they wanted to create a cool kid. For us, verification is very different. Okay. We're not about cool kids. Right. But what we want, our goal is for everyone to be verified. And what we will be doing, we're not doing it yet, but soon we will, is we will display your real name in your profile if you're verified. Mm. And the point is, uh, we believe that when you're writing under your own name, and it's a verified name that's really you, you're going to be more careful how you act. You know, the, take a, a, a redneck kid from Alabama and a woke liberal from New York. Put them in the same room, they'll be best friends. Put a computer screen between them, they'll hate each other, right? Mm. There's something about the anonymity of social media, the fact that you're writing under this assumed names, et cetera, that really allows you to act in ways that you would never imagine yourself acting in the real world. Right. And so verification for us is a way, hopefully, to create more civil discourse, getting people to write under their own name, think a little bit twice, do I want to be represented by this post? Is this post who I am? You know, if they, we can get people to think, you know, two seconds before they, they post, I think we'll be in a good place. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um... Now, uh, I do have some uh, constructive criticisms for it, and I haven't paid you a cent, like I said, so take this with as many grains of salt as you want. But um, I have found that um, on post, the, the main kind of core engagement I get with anything I post is in the first few minutes after I post, and it doesn't seem to, uh, engagement-wise anyway, uh, circulate as long as other social medias seem to. Like, I feel like when I would post something on Twitter, I may not have gotten as, as many, uh, you know, engagements with it or, or Facebook or whatever, but 
but I felt like it was a longer period of time. Um, is, is there, right. an, is there an algorithm going into how people see things? Is that part of it or, or what is going on behind well, the scenes there? The problem is that there isn't an algorithm. Oh, I, okay. And there so, it is. That's it, the problem. And, <laughs> you but, aren't telling me what I need. We're, we're, <laughs> no, no, well, we're getting, we're, we're going to get there, right? So okay, we're, gotcha. we're new. We just launched in November. Oh, hey. We've been live for nine months. Like we're, we're building a lot of this out in, Originally, the only way, one of the, our challenges is a lot of amazing content on the platform, but it's very, very hard to find it. Right? Mm. You have to work hard. And obviously, yeah. that's not the goal. And for this, you want to build all kinds of recommendation algorithms and content recommendation and, and, and collaborative filtering and all these different options of how you share content. It, what we are, uh, the first step that we're doing for that is really around what we call topics, which are hashtags. Okay. And what you'll see in, in the next few days we're, we're, first of all, every article gets automatically assigned hashtags in addition to what the author mm -hmm. added. So that a content, even if you didn't push that game, will still be discoverable by what's in the content. And then we're, we're the, our goal is for you to be able to navigate content through interest. So you read an article, and at the bottom of the article it says, hey, here's a, this article is about inflation, U.S., uh, uh, you know, uh, industrialized uh, policy, whatever. You click on inflation, you're going to get a whole list of other articles about inflation and from other people. And that's going to be a discovery mechanism to allow you to find other accounts to follow. But more than that, also to be able to go deeper into subject, get different opinions on the subject, different perspectives on the subject. And we will, we are working on, where it's going to still take a few more months, a, a pure kind of recommendation algorithm where, you know, based on what you're interested in, we will surface content to your feed so that you will get kind of things that you didn't, Think that you wanted, right? Which is exactly what you're saying, right? Today, if you publish it, just the people that are following you mostly get your content, and so that's why you get that immediate, immediate engagement, and then it kind of dies out. If we have a, a good recommendation algorithm, it will surface that content to other people who are not following you but are interested in the same subjects, and that will allow them to be exposed to your content. So there's a lot more coming down that path, and I would say that's one of the bigger challenges that we have. It's always a really big challenge because. If you go, let's say, like threads went 100% algorithmic. Right? So basically, they decide what you're going to read. Now, they might do a good job, a bad job, whatever it is, but that day you might be interested in something else. That's it. This is what you read. It, the, the complete opposite of that is 100% chronological, meaning you follow people, their content in your feed, and that's it. If you don't follow them, you don't see it. And so we're trying to find the balance because there are different mindsets when you're looking for content. One mindset is I come, I open the app, kind of show me what's going on. And you start going through your feed and seeing what's there, and we want to make sure that your feed is as interesting as possible. Another aspect is I'm coming right now because I just heard that you know something happened, and I want to see what's going on there. So you're coming with an intent that's clear, and you want to search for it. Or you want us to, to find it easily, find the content that's uh, that meets that intent. And so there's you know there are all different ways of addressing this, and each one has its pros and cons. And we're trying to find kind of the balance. But more than that, we always want to let users have a certain level of control. I find it very frustrating when something's 100% algorithmic. When it works, it's wonderful. When it doesn't work and you're looking for something specific and you can't find it, it's just terrible. Yeah. No, that's, that's a great point. Yeah. Um, well, going back to when you first launched it, um, it was kind of an invite only or you had to apply. I remember I think I had to submit my uh, LinkedIn profile link uh, and a couple other pieces of, of uh, identification or something. But um, how did the rollout go and um, did that 
kind of because I think Blue Sky is working in kind of the same you know invitation only way initially. Um, how does that work as far as launching a social media platform? Does it um, create buzz, kind of generate scarcity? Are you just not ready to let that many people in? Does it bottleneck the growth? Does it help? Does it hurt? What it, what was it like from your side launching that? So, you know, traditionally, going back pre-internet days, uh, when you built a product, you'd spend months and years talking with focus groups and talking to people and designing it and building it and, and, and coming out. And then you'd have this big flashy launch and you'd launch the product and then you discover nobody wants it. Right? And you'd be stuck with a dead product. The, the lean startup methodology, which began with the internet, basically says you want to get your product out as soon as possible so you get real people's feedback on it. And then you want to iterate on the product based on real feedback. Now, Reid Hoffman, the founder of, of LinkedIn and Carter Greylock, he has a, a very good sta a, a statement where he says, if, you launch, if you're not embarrassed by your product when you launch it, you've launched too late. Right? You always have to launch something that you're really embarrassed by it because it means that you launch really early, you're getting the feedback, and you can change quickly versus doing something you're really proud of and discovering nobody wants it. And that's really, that's really what, what we did as well. We were highly embarrassed. We launched a product with hardly any of the features. And we had to keep it gated by a, a invite list because we didn't have basic safety things like blocking and muting. We didn't have you know, search. You couldn't find anything. But all these constraints on the, uh, on the platform because it was so young. And so as we built more and more and more, we could open up that up more and then open it up completely. And today we're building what's called in the wild. Right, we're building with with our users. And users give us feedback directly. We look at the analytics of what they're doing. They tell us what they think, and between the two, we constantly have to prioritize what features we're building and how we're moving it forward. One of the problems is there's a lot of kind of that people expect from social media. That's the minimum. You know that that you know since we didn't have it, we couldn't just open up to the world with no blocking or anything like that. And even you know as young and early as we are, we've already seen most types of toxicity you can imagine. From nation states building a bot system, to spammers, to trolls, to misogynists and homophobes, like anything you want, anything terrible you can imagine, we've already seen on this tiny sample, we're so early, you know? And so it, being able to control that is super important. Yeah, and I understand uh, timing-wise why it kind of had to come out when it did. Because when Elon took over, I was like, I can't sit here and complain about Twitter on Twitter anymore. This is I need to go somewhere else. <laughs> like, and I, and I knew that you launched it right, kind of in I think it was November, right? It was the very next right. month. Um, and so I was I was on it as soon as I could. But yeah, I I I kind of saw that you know maybe if you that hadn't happened, you might have let it bake in the oven a little bit longer, but I, I understand timing wise why it had to kind of come out when it did. So, and, and it's a real problem. We paid a very big price going forward because a lot of things that we built really quickly, we had to rebuild later on from an engineering perspective. Mm. And it, it, we, had, we had a lot of challenges looking back though. I still think it was the right decision with all the pain that we went through. It was the right decision because we really got this amazing group of people that have joined us on our journey that are helping us craft and, and, and the product and build it and, and design it. And, and, and really, that's how you build product, great products, is by listening to the users who use the product instead of what you think is right and you know, what other companies are doing, et cetera. What matters is your users. As long as you can stay focused on them, everything works out in the long run. 
Oh, yeah, and I can see the improvements, too. I feel like when it first started, it would crash pretty much every day, and I would never, you know, I'd, I'd reload and reload. It was <laughs> they'd given me, yeah. uh, it wasn't the fail whale, but whatever, <laughs> whatever world. <laughs> um, but, but I apologize I, for that. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. I'm, I, haven't, I haven't seen a crash uh, in quite a while, so um, it's going wetter. I, I did uh, post on my, uh, on, my, uh, on my feed that I was going to be talking to you, and I tagged your account, and then that thing you talked about where it automatically generated a topic, and I, all I typed in was at Gnome, but it took from that Gnome Chomsky. So, <laughs> yeah, that was funny. That was the one it, it automatically generated. So sorry to all my, uh, all my <laughs> followers who were expecting me to talk to Gnome Chomsky. I would like to talk not to Gnome Chomsky one day. but um, and, I, and I apologize to Gnome Chomsky for uh, <laughs> having my name associated with it. <laughs> right. People looking for Gnome Chomsky content are going to be disappointed. But, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I like it a lot. It's, it's been going great. I'm in it for the long haul you know I've, I've it's coming up on a year and and i've had a great time and it's it's the engagement's been been wonderful so i've, I've only grown to like it more so i've i've really appreciated it um that's but, great and, and, and you know when we when we start we think about the about the product like unlike the the advertising supported platforms we don't want everyone on our platform and this goes back to really believing in something for example, we believe in free speech in the traditional constitutional way. Free speech is to protect you from the government. The government should not censor you. That's why we won't let any government censor us. That means that we probably will never be live in Russia and will never be live in Turkey and will never be live in these countries where they do have a, a government does censor. But when you see other platforms bend over backwards and censor their users, because of a, a authoritarian government's demand, you know, the question is, where do, you, where do you draw the line? And for us, that's where we draw the line. So the same thing goes internally. You know, when you look at platforms today, what you hear is the extreme voices. And that's because the algorithms are tuned for advertising, for engagement. And the algorithms learn that the more hateful content you surface, the more time you're going to spend on the platform. They'll walk away angry and upset and hating everyone but you'll stay more time and watch more ads. So it works for them. And so that gives you this warped perception of society that you know, you're pure and everyone else is evil because all you're hearing is these extreme voices. Our goal is to bring up the, the, the moderate center. We want to raise them in our platform, make you hear them, not hear those extremists. And that's really a, a very different kind of approach. And that means that we don't mind suspending accounts. If you're coming to a platform to be a racist, there are enough platforms for you. Go to the other platform. We don't want you on our platform as a racist. We're not going to try and protect you. We're going to try to warn you and then suspend you. Go to Twitter. Go to Truth Social. There are a million places for racists to live. But that's exactly why we're trying very, very hard to make that. And that means that, yes, we will have to sacrifice certain people. And, you know, I believe that if you're not willing to sacrifice something, they don't really believe in anything. If you only want to have everything, you only want the upside and the good stuff, then you know, anything you do has a downside as well. And so for us, that's a very, very important point. That when we imagine our, our kind of core user, it's what I call a regular person, someone with a job and a family and a car and, and mortgage payments and that has more to their life than just fighting with other people on social, you know, trolling other people, fighting the extremes. You know, those people, they've got enough platforms. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of the early days of Facebook because I was in college when Facebook debuted and you had to have a college 
uh, email address to get on there initially. And I remember thinking as soon as they opened that up and then my parents and everybody else, their age got on and I was like, it's so over. I need to get on Twitter. This is done. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a, it's a different core group you're talking about. Uh, but I understand like yeah, not just letting anyone in. I mean, cause you don't want everyone in. I, I wouldn't think, I mean, it definitely doesn't help the user experience to have everyone there. So, um, you know, when, when you look at, at the uh, TikTok as probably the most successful, social network, I don't know if you call it social network, but let's say a, I don't know, a social platform, the most successful one in the in, in definitely the last decade, um, they're the highly moderated platform. Now they're moderated because of their Chinese roots, right? Not because they believe in moderation, but that moderation is part of what created TikTok and why it's so popular. Because at the end of the day, people don't want racist content stuck in their face. Again, most people, some do, right? but most people don't want that. We think about Twitter, Twitter never went mainstream, right? It was a small, Facebook is mainstream. Twitter is a bunch of cool kids and we're all cool kids. So we think Twitter is like everything, right? But at the end of the day, most people don't have, not, don't have a Twitter account. And, but part of the problem with Twitter also, it's very hard to build up a good feed. You spend so much time curating it, whatever. We need to find that balance, right? How do we help people who, this is not their full time, they're not gonna curate their feed. They're gonna come on, they wanna read some stuff, meet, meet some people, listen, comment, et cetera. Go away. They want to spend 20 minutes on the platform. They don't want to spend five hours. Right? How do we build for them? And they're the people we're thinking about. Mm. Yeah. Um, one thing, uh, though, that has kind of come about in, since you've launched is that there's been, we, we've mentioned Blue Sky and, and also Threads has come online as well. Um, how do you feel about the amount of competition there is? Because when Twitter was really going, it was kind of the only thing that did what it did the way it did it. And now... You know, you have these disparate ones, you have your, your posts, you have your, you know, threads, and it seems like the, the landscape's much more crowded than it was. So, so how do you see where you fit into that more, like, more competition than I guess there used to be? So when I think about the landscape in, in general, I think we're at the end of the arc of the first generation of social media. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you know, YouTube. Right, we're at the end of their arc. They're not going to disappear or anything. We're getting wrong. I mean, AOL and, and Yahoo are around, right? So they'll still be huge companies, but their importance, cultural importance, is is waning. And I think most people are, you know, many people that I know have canceled, have, have stopped using Facebook or closed their accounts. People are, are getting off Twitter, but at the same time, we're all looking for the next thing, and we're still trying to find the next Twitter. But there will never be another Twitter. Twitter is a unique thing that happened at a specific point in time yep. and created this wonderful product, right? These things, it was created in the PC world before mobile. I mean, there's all these kinds of things that are very different than uh, how we think about them now. And that's why I think TikTok is the best example of the next generation of platforms. So TikTok is not a clone of YouTube, but it took a slice of what YouTube does, the short form kind of funny creator-based content, and it took that experience and built a product optimized for that. And that's what, you know, made this explosive growth of, of, uh, um, of TikTok. There have been many attempts to do the YouTube of, the YouTube of. And none of them succeeded because YouTube is great. You don't need another version of YouTube, mm -hmm. right? But TikTok is something else. And I think that's what you're going to see with the, with the platforms coming out is that 
Platforms are going to take pieces of what you did on social and turn them into a standalone experience. Mm. And that's what we're trying to do around news, right? We're trying to take that people that, that consume their news off social. We want to create a platform for them to make it a better experience mm-hmm. to clone Twitter. You know, I don't see how you can succeed. I don't think there's ever been an example in, in history of someone who came along and cloned an existing product and just started it off in, in the exact clone that worked, right? It, it just, it doesn't work that way. People today are very different than where they were when Twitter got started in terms of their demands and their thoughts, et cetera. So when you think about the clones, the, the pure clones, again, I, I'm not optimistic that, that any of them will create a new Twitter. Yeah. I think there's... There's the federated uh, networks, which I think are great ideas, like Mastodon and Blue Sky. Mm-hmm. Yep. When Blue Sky opens up its uh, protocol, we'll, uh, we'll connect to it. We want to connect to Mastodon as well. Mm-hmm. And I think being able to share content across networks is a great thing. I don't think that was the problem with Twitter, though. It's not that if Twitter was federated, it'd be fine now. No, Twitter was a sick company before Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. had a problem with toxicity, had a problem with its revenue model, had a problem with growth, had all kinds of problems that Elon Musk regarded it was before him and you know he did his bit mm-hmm. but basically the company definitely had had its own challenges mm-hmm. and so and we think about threads i think threads is a phenomenal launch i mean it definitely is the number one i think it beat out chat gpt in terms of how mm-hmm. fast it grew amazing story but at the end of the day it grew so fast because it leveraged instagram right and that means that the communities created on threads basically mirror those on instagram mm-hmm. and so it raises the question of you know as a Creator, should I post to Instagram or should I post to Threads? Right. As a consumer, should I listen to Threads or should I listen to Instagram? I believe they're going to be merged together long term, and that, that's I think the right solution. I think Instagram should have come up with a text unit that's different than their 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 image unit, mm-hmm. and been in the same feed with the same groups, the same followers, and everything else, the same it, it, it connections that you have on Instagram. A separate product that just is the same kind of underlying community but a different interface. I personally am not optimistic about it, but you know who knows. When you own platforms that have billions of users, you can do a lot of things. Right. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you again for taking all this time. It looks like we only have like five or so minutes left, and uh, you've been a great sport. And I uh, asked my followers on post if they had any questions I should ask you, and I was wondering if we could do a, just a quick lightning round. You don't have to. Of course. Yeah. No, no, of so, course. Yeah, these are the these are your loyal users. They want to know um, are uh, are lists and bookmarks on the table. So list is something that we're thinking of, but we don't have any plan right now. And again, it's not that we don't think lists are important; they are. But there's just so much that we have to do. Right? Mm-hmm. Bookmarks are interesting, and I personally don't believe that bookmarks is the right solution. Just like bookmarks and browsers. Remember when? Browsers started with bookmarks and bookmark everything. And then all that got replaced with the history in the, in the browser search bar, right? Mm-hmm. Today, you don't really save websites. You just start typing and the website pops up. And so what we want to do, and then again, we haven't gotten to it, is basically give you a way to see all of your interactions. So you don't need to bookmark an uh, uh, article. Just like it. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be able to go to a place to see all the stuff you've liked. Right. And it'll be there. So you don't need to think ahead of time, do I want to bookmark this or not? Mm-hmm. You're bookmarking because you, in the future, you want to go see that thing. So in the future, you want to go see that thing, you'll open up your history, and you'll basically search your history, you'll find it right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's always a problem, by the way, also on all the social platforms, how to get to something that you saw a day ago yeah. is extremely difficult. I know. And, and that's how we're thinking about it. Yeah, that makes sense. 
Um, when will commenting move off of open web? Oh, um, it will happen. I don't have a date on it yet. There's a lot of infrastructure that's being built for it. Mm -hmm. but that's definitely the, the direction. Part of the challenge, like, OpenWeb is a great product and it allowed us to, to launch quickly with moderation built in, et cetera. Mm. But it's a third-party product, so we can't combine things. That's why right. when you block someone on post, you're not blocking them on, on OpenWeb. You have to block mm. them twice. Right. right? That's why we can't uh, combine comments and turn them into a post and share them. Like, all these kinds of things that, that we want to do basically assume that we have one platform. Where we want to get to is that every comment is a post. Same unit, same functionality. You can do different things with it. So you can tip someone, or you can comment on a comment, or you can share a comment or repost it. It'll become a post. Like There's a lot of different things you want to do there. And that's kind of where we're building towards. But you know, part we've got so much to do. Mm. Prioritization is very, very hard. Gotcha. Makes sense. Um, if you post a series of two to three photos, can you make it so that they show in one post together? So we do plan to show a sort of a gallery post mm -hmm. where you'll be able to pull a variety of posts and swipe through them in the compact view. Gotcha. And so one of the things we're working on, and this is right now on the infrastructure level, so it's not anything anybody can see, mm -hmm. but having different types of posts. So one type of post would be a gallery post that would have multiple pictures. One would be maybe a, a, a AMA, a live discussion that you could have, like all different types of posts that you'd be able to, as a creator, to choose which one you want to use for each thing. Gotcha. Great. Okay, and this last one is from me. When will you be scheduling okay. a cage match fight between yourself and, and any other social media uh, leaders? <laughs> and I think my ego is intact. I don't need to prove anything. <laughs> it is. I like it. <laughs> awesome. Well, great. Um, the uh, one question I do always ask at the end, though, is what music have you been listening to lately? So it's a problem. I'm not a very big uh, in music. I, I love listening to music, but I don't really know anything or, or have any like opinion about music. Oh. So that's a bad point. But I will have to say, well, uh, I sorry, it, but I know my, my wife has, has created a song as a present for my daughter for her birthday. And that's one thing I was shocked oh. to see. You today can actually build your own song, including finding the songwriter and the song and the music and everything and, and actually build it and have it shipped to Spotify and actually burned it to vinyl. Really? So I, I personally am very excited about all the changes happening in the music space, but I don't understand enough about it and I don't have opinions about it. Okay. Well, that's amazing. Well, that's a good answer. I've never had that answer before. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's a new one. Um, well, excellent. Hey, thank you so much again. Uh, really great time speaking with you, and you're welcome to come back anytime, and uh, I'd love to talk to you some more. So this has been great. I will. Thanks a lot, Rob. Have a good Thanks day. Have a good day.